Parenting is often lived in the extremes. It's either great joy or chaotic overwhelm. In one moment, you're nailing it, and the next, you're losing your cool. I want to help you find your way to the messy middle, to a place of balance. You see, balance is a verb, not a state of being. It is a thing you do, not a thing you are. It is an action, a process, a series of micro-corrections that you make each and every day to keep yourself feeling centered. We are never truly balanced. We are engaged in the process of balancing. Hello, I'm Dr. Laura Froyan, and this is the Balanced Parent Podcast, where overwhelmed, stressed out, and disconnected parents go to find tools, mindset shifts, and practices to help them stop yelling at the people they love and start connecting on a deeper level, all delivered with heaping doses of grace and compassion. Join me in conversations that will help you get clear on your goals and values and start showing up in your parenting, your relationships, your life with open-hearted authenticity and balance. Let's go. Hello, everybody. This is Dr. Laura Froyan, and on this episode of the Balanced Parent Podcast, we are talking with Don Friedman, and we are going to dig into childhood anxiety and how to help our anxious kiddos actually cope with being anxious from a place of respect and compassion, but without enabling them. So we're going to dig into this conversation. This is actually something that comes up for me a lot in my clinical practice, you know, with my clients and in my own home. I've got an anxious kiddo myself. So Don, I'm really excited to have this conversation. Welcome to the show. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about who you are and what you do? Well, thank you so much for having me. I am a therapist in Columbus, Ohio. I work with little kids, big kids, teens, and adults, but I don't really get to work with kids very much because of COVID. I had to shut my office. And I also run childanxietysupport.com, which is a membership and psychoeducation support group and course for parents of anxious kids. Amazing. I think that's so needed. The way that I see anxiety is that it's this for some people, their kind of anxiety meter is turned up and it will likely be that way their whole lives that they will, you know, they, it's just the way we're wired and we have to learn to cope with it. And the earlier, the better understanding how the brain works, how anxiety works, its role in our lives. And, but what I see a lot with folks who are in the respectful and conscious parenting world you know, these really beautiful, well-intentioned family members, parents who are really looking to support their kids. They want to make sure that their kids feel seen and heard and validated, not dismissed. And in doing so, they lean in to the anxieties and the worries. Do you see this too? I do. And because that's really who my clients come from here in Columbus, Ohio, we have a couple of really great, wonderful, respectful preschools. And they send a lot of clients my way, a lot of anxious kids my way. They're really good at catching those kids in their programs and figuring out those kids need extra support. And I have found that those of us in the respectful parenting community are so attuned to our children that we tend to get lost in our kids' anxiety. And I think there's a couple things that are going on there. And one is that high intensity parents like us who care very deeply about doing a good job are often coming to it from an anxious place ourselves, Mm -hmm. often because we are trying to reparent through, we're trying to do something differently than was done in our own family. And so we tend to project our own fears and worries onto our kids a little bit. And also, if we're high intensity, high sensitive people, it's no wonder that our kids inherit our brains. 
and they are also high intensity, high sensitive kids. And I think those two things make us sometimes get stuck in anxiety loops with each other. And I am absolutely anti-parent blame. I do not do that. <laughs> I know and trust that the parents who come to my office are doing their best and just need a little support to tweak it a bit so they can figure out how to support their kids' anxiety instead of accommodating their kids' anxiety. Yeah, I love this, supporting instead of accommodating. I think one of the things that is so important for us to understand is that for like you said, many of us who have anxious kids, we're anxious kids ourselves. And that was my experience. I was an anxious kid. Nobody saw that or recognized that that what was happening. You know, I had tummy aches, you know, all the time. Like, and, and they took me to doctors. No one saw it for what it was. It wasn't a thing in the 80s, you know, that we were looking for, at least not in the Midwest. And, and no blame to my parents. But mm -hmm. I think that for lots of us, we who experienced anxiety as kids are coming, you know, coming to the realization of like, oh, that's what it was. Now, how do I do it differently for my kids? And we're, but we're still thinking about like what we think we wanted as kids. And then we go and do that for our kids. So like the, you know, six-year-old anxious Laura wanted someone to comfort her and see her and validate her. And so then I go and do that to my own anxious kid, give it those things. And that's actually not what I necessarily needed. I needed more cognitive tools to start working with my thought processes, working, you know, playing around with the thoughts and the worries that were coming in into my head. And so I think we have the best of intentions. We never want to dismiss our kids' feelings. We want to be fully present with them. And, but at the same time, we didn't know what we needed as kids. We knew what we thought we needed, but we didn't actually know what we really needed. I feel like yes. I'm not making any sense. <laughs> no, it's totally making sense. And I, I also have an, an anxious kid and I get stuck in a reassurance loop with her because she keeps coming to me for reassurance. And then she's reliant on me to reassure her Yes. really what I need to do is sometimes walk away, which is really difficult because I think the thing is about respectful parents is we're really good at talking. And <laughs> so sometimes we talk too much instead of saying, you've got this and now I need to go away from you, which is it's really anxiety hard. provoking for us mm -hmm. too, because yes. the last thing we want to do is feel like that we are making our kids feel abandoned by us too, right? Yes. Abandoned. Yes. Always. And, and the thing I tell parents though, is when you're coming it from this, because we cannot take any particular parenting decision or choice or behavior out of the context of the big, beautiful relationship we're building. Mm -hmm. And if you have a big, beautiful, respectful relationship, then there is room for you to push back on them a little bit. That's going to be okay. Saying to your child, you've got this, you can handle that is not the same thing as taking them out into the woods and say, good luck, get home on your own kid. But it feels like that sometimes to us yeah. that that's what we're doing. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so I had this moment that came up this morning in my own family with my own anxious kiddo. My husband and I are both anxious. So my daughter got a double whammy, <laughs> a double dose of it. She has some some mask acne popping mm -hmm. up, and she's nine. And she went to her dad about it because she'd noticed it, and he kind of said, like, oh, it's probably nothing, and just dismissed it. And then she came to me crying that her dad had just dismissed it, that she, so she had this big worry about her skin and then this other, you know, feeling of being dismissed. So I know what I did in that moment, but it's really tempting to get into one of those reassurance loops, you know, and, and so I'm curious about like, what do we do with that when our anxious kid is coming to us for reassurance and we desperately want to give it to them, especially when it's 
they're worried over something small or nonsensical. What do we do? Especially if we've kind of unknowingly and with the best of intentions noticed, listener, that dear sweet listener, that Don and I both think you're wonderful parents. <laughs> and see, with the best of intentions, we've created some of this reassurance loop pattern. I love that phrase. What do we do with that? Well, first of all, we're going to validate that they're upset, right? Like you said, that's really what they're looking for. But now they're kind of looking for us to fix it and understand that the anxiety is all about avoidance. How can I avoid this yucky feeling? How can I avoid the risk of this yucky feeling? So maybe she's worried somebody's going to make fun of her. Maybe it she's, gosh, that's a tough age. And maybe she's just feeling bad about herself. And I'm not sure what's going on with her, but there's some avoidance in there that she's trying to help ask you to avoid this yucky feeling that she's having, right? For her, it's the fear of the unknown. She just wants to know what it is. Like if I just say it's a pimple, Mm -hmm. you know, it's fine. But if I say I don't, I'm not entirely sure what that is or why that's there, then that amplifies her anxiety. Just so I would say validate, which is not validate that the fear is real, validate that she's having the fear, which Mm -hmm. which again is tricky. Sometimes when we start like uh, getting ahead, I'm going to try to make sense of this. And if I don't tell me to go back. So your child comes and says, I'm worried about this on my face. And you start, oh, it's probably, da, 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 da. you might be getting ahead of it. And yes. you haven't heard the validation. And first you just seem to say, I hear you yeah. worried about this. Yeah. I just want to hold to the light what you're saying. So it is our instinct to jump to the reassurance that they don't need to worry about this thing. Oh, it's fine. It's going to be okay. Yeah. And they, we need to stay in validating, not that they have every right to be concerned about it, but validating that they are concerned, right? Yes. You about this a lot right now. You're worried about that. You noticed this bump on your skin. Oh, you picked it and made it bleed. And now it's got you concerned. Just that's what it sounds. I think it's really helpful for people to hear like what that sounds like versus like, oh, you're really worried about that. Going to like, oh, yes. I I mean, gosh, we don't know what that is. You know, and that's really scary to not know what it is. You know, there's a difference between those two things. Like you can almost hear it in the tone of the voice. One is can amplify the unknown. And we also, like you said, don't want to skip the step of validating where they are, their current emotional state. Yeah. So, my... so we're just stating it, right? It, yeah, it's, stating we're it. Just stating it. And then we have to stop, which again is hard for us because we <laughs> love to talk. We're yeah. really good at it. And then we need to not go towards solving it because that can feel dismissive. And again, this is what we tend to do because we're really good at it. We emphasize and validate so much that again, exactly what you were saying, then we are making it worse. Like unintentionally. So, <laughs> unintentionally. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So what we need to do for ourselves is notice that we're getting caught into their anxiety. First of all, anxiety is super, super, super catching. It needs to be because as a species, we need to catch when somebody in our environment is anxious for our own safety. And so if our kid is anxious, we're going to feel anxious. They're going to catch it. And we're, we just are ratcheting each other up. It's like a ladder, like where you're climbing up the anxiety ladder together. When really what we want to do is notice what rung of the anxiety ladder the kid is on, meet them there, and then help them down the ladder. Yes, because they're going to borrow our brain. Yeah. So we have to calm our brain down. So before <laughs> you rush to be with your kid, be with yourself mm-hmm. and notice that mm-hmm. you feel yucky. Make sure you're breathing. For me, I always notice my shoulders go up to my ears. I have to drop them. And then we can be neutral with, 
So what would you like to do about it? Or would you like to try this? Like then we might go towards problem solving depending on the child's age, because at a certain age, we want to scaffold their own problem solving. So how you respond to a three-year-old who's anxious is obviously really different than how we respond to a 13-year-old, but we need to be cognizant of that because sometimes we're, we're forgetting that it's our child's job to move themselves through discomfort to a solution, or even there's not a solution. They just need to figure out how to calm their own bodies down. Yeah, how to sit in the kind of the uncomfortableness of whatever it is that's going on for them. There was a like a glimmer of something in what you just said that was, I think, so important for parents to hear too, is that we have to get clear on who owns the anxiety whose anxiety is it like you were saying before that it's really catching and i think that we take on responsibility for our kids anxiety that it is our job to soothe their worry it's our job to help them not you know make them not have the worry anymore or get rid of the worry so i'm kind of curious about that like what are some things that parents can do to kind of help them feel really settled and firm in like this is my child's worry. This is my child's anxiety talking, not mine. And it's their job to manage it. And it's my job to teach them tools. Like how do we get clear on our roles with our kids' anxiety? I love that you asked that because I've been thinking about it a lot. And I've been thinking that we as parents, it would really help us if we just gave ourselves the chance to sort of run with our anxiety for our kids, gave ourselves a safe space away from our child with someone, maybe that's a therapist, maybe that's a partner, maybe that's with a friend, maybe it's just with our journal that we wrote down all of our fears and worries and just gave them space because we're running from that too. And I noticed when I was teaching parenting classes, we would be talking about a problem and, and the model of the parenting classes I taught was that we would list the problem and then we would explain why it was a problem. And we'd often dig into it. And maybe the problem was my child won't put on their shoes in the morning that every single group I taught, there would be a five-year-old who wouldn't put their shoes on. And drill down often the parents would spiral all the way to, I'm afraid that they won't be able to get a job because they won't be able to get their shoes on and then they'll be homeless and no one will love them. And I think we need to have space to acknowledge that things feel that big so that we can start recognizing this is coming from an existential fear that I want my child to have a good life. It's not just about acne under a mask. It's, I want them to be loved and I want them to love themselves. And because when we recognize the way that we spiral in a safe place, then we can start seeing when it's happening in other places too. Mm -hmm. And I know this sounds so big, but I think these big existential worries really drive our everyday worries with our kids. Yeah, I think so too. You know, I'm just, as you were talking about this, like, is there space and room for that to, for doing some of that kind of like going down the worry path with our kids to giving them space for, you know, kind of taking the worry far as far as it goes? I think there can be. Okay. I think with very young children, there isn't so much of a need. Their worries are pretty clear. Like I'm afraid of monsters under the bed. I'm afraid they will eat me. And that abstract thought, that kind of existentialism, you know, for the younger kids isn't as there. Although I think, I do think that young kids, I feel like at five, I feel like is when existential crises start coming up for kids. You know, like big questions. Yes, 
And then so I see kids in my office, they show up at five, they show up at eight, and then they start showing up in their teens. And I think you're exactly right. I think five is an age where those things start coming up. The, the like, difficulty is God. When does the universe start? It's just a big existential question. Yeah. Well, I love you it. know, it's a reason why five-year-olds are all afraid of robbers because they realize there's a world out there. So I think it depends because with some kids, I think running with that spiral might be too much. And so I think, you know, it's very, very individual, but especially as kids get older, I think that is a really good CBT tool is to mm-hmm. say, let's make an appointment for your anxiety or to say to your child when they come home from school, you can go off on all of your anxious things and bad things that happened for 15 minutes. We're going to set a timer. And because mm-hmm. what they need is to learn how to contain those worries. That's yeah, something container. we all need to learn. Okay. So a lot of parents who come to me feel ill-equipped to handle their children's anxiety. Most of them are in therapy themselves for their own anxiety for the first time in their mid-30s. And they're learning these CBT tools. So CBT stands for Cognitive Behavioral Therapy. It's one of the you know best approaches, the most well-researched approaches for working with anxious thoughts. It doesn't cure anxiety. It helps you live and cope with it and kind of be partnered with it and work alongside it, right? And so for parents who are in this situation where they're noticing like their kid, they're in this maybe a reassurance loop or their kid is coming to them with a lot of worries or they're noticing some anxiety symptoms, how does a parent know when it's time to seek support for themselves and helping their kids versus getting their kid into into a therapist's office? And I have a follow-up question to that question too. Okay. I always tell people the time to ask for help and get help is when you feel stuck. So if you feel stuck, then that's a good time to get help, period. There doesn't have to be a particular point. Although I will say, as I'm thinking about this, so I get a lot of parents, and I bet you do too, that what is bringing them to therapy is, in our community, a lot of co-sleeping and the kid is 8, 9, 10, 12. Mm. And the parents are ready to be done with co-sleeping or the child is ready to be done with co-sleeping in the continuum of Mm co-sleeping. Maybe they're still laying down with their 11 year old and they want to be able to not do that. I have no, I say whatever parenting works for you. Great. So I don't, co-sleeping is working. I don't think it's a problem if you're co-sleeping with a bigger kid, unless you don't like it or they don't like it. And then 100%. Yes. Yeah. So I, I 100% agree that the, like, if it's not broke, don't fix it. And yes, families yeah, all yeah. over the world sleep with their kids. It doesn't work just until it doesn't work for one of them, then it changes. So yes, yeah. I 100% agree. So basically, if you feel stuck, whether it's in something like co-sleeping or getting out the door from school, or you just feel overwhelmed to what's going on for your child, then it is time to get help. And that is different for every family. Wonderful. Good. I think that lots of parents think like, oh, it's not so bad or, oh, we're doing okay. And so they wait until it is more. I think earlier can be better. Even it's just getting support for yourself and kind of getting ahead, get building your toolkit so you can help them if you're noticing some stuff coming up for your kids. But yeah, I so agree with you. Now, I feel the problem I'm seeing in my community is in the families who are coming to me because I'm not an active practicing therapist at this point in time. I do. I focus on coaching and courses. The wait lists are sometimes a year long to get in. And so if we're waiting until you're really stuck, then you've got another six months, seven months, eight months before you get to actually see a therapist. That can feel like a long time. 
That's true, especially right now, because very few of us who see kids in my community, we don't, our offices aren't open. And so the very youngest and, children are not being seen. And it's hard with, to do virtual with a five-year-old. Yeah. I think the youngest they'll work with is nine, 10, depending on the child. And yeah. I've got a couple of colleagues, they're pretty burned out though, where they're, they're not going much younger either. But also, and this is to be reassuring, the research shows that what is more effective than just therapy with the child is parent training. Yeah. If I just did a big yes, listener. You can't see me. Yeah, she did a fist pump. So, which is why I did my program. And I know there are other people doing programs too. And it's just like finding a good therapist. You find somebody that you click with. There's a lot of us who have switched to virtual work right now. Find someone who you click with and yeah, start working with them. Start learning as you said, anxiety is a lifetime thing. We need anxiety to keep us safe and to make sure that we meet our deadlines and all of those things. We just need to learn how to cope with it. And, yeah. and that, since that's a lifetime thing, we can always be learning new stuff. I love doing the research because then I go, oh, here's something I can try with my kid now. Yeah, I love yeah. that. And But not everybody has, you know, like I look at my desk right now in front of me out of view of the camera and it's got 10 parenting books on it. Not everybody, <laughs> you know, can, can spend time reading all of those books. It's so wonderful to have folks like you and your colleagues who work in the anxiety world who are distilling the information down into bite-sized pieces that parents can quickly go and implement. And I fist pumped because I was, you know, leading you to that place of really under coming, helping parents come to understand that truly you're the best person for this job and helping your kids. And that's what all the research says. And there's a really good reason for it because you already have an attachment relationship with these kids, you know, and attachment relationships are beautifully healing. They're in the ideal context for, for doing good work with kids. There's lots of wonderful tools that yes. parents can learn and start using with their kids. Now, some kids my kids know that I'm a feelings doctor and sometimes they don't like it when I slip into that role. <laughs> and so sometimes, you know, there's certain dynamics where you do need outside help or you need someone else. And, you know, there's school counselors that are usually well-trained in CBT too, can help. But one of my favorite books for this topic that I recommend to my clients all the time is Anxiety Relief for Kids by Bridget Flynn Walker. Have you seen that one? I'm looking up to see if it's on my shelf or in my Kindle. I think it's in my Kindle. Yeah, right. So that one is one of my favorite ones. And it basically just teaches a parent how to do CBT. I love it. But not everybody likes to work in learning from books. So when you're working with families, what is like three of your favorite kind of anxiety stopping tools or anxiety, you know, tools that you, that you're quick and easy that parents can implement. I don't want you to give away all your secrets, but well, I was going to say, it's so hard because it so depends on the kids. Every kid who comes in my office already knows how to breathe. In fact, they're pretty sick of it. So stick with the breathing. You guys don't give it up, but understand that has limits. And very often the kids don't understand why they're breathing. So there's actually a great video and I think it's just called breathe. And it's specifically about anger I can see you're Googling. I'm going to see if I can Google for it too. <laughs> no, I'll put it into the show notes. My team will put it into the show notes. Okay. Or if you send me the link, we'll pop it in. Yeah. It's Just Breathe by Julie Bayer Salzman and okay. Josh Salzman. Yes. It's terrific. And I show that to kids because it it's kids actually explaining 
brain science and talking <sighs> about breathing yeah. and it's specifically about anger, but I show it in all of my trainings. It's so terrific. So that is one of my favorite things. The other thing is we were talking about, wait, hold on I, just a second. I love that. I think kids want to be in the know. They want to know their, how their brain works. And I think so oftentimes when we use like, take a deep breath, the, the, and beautiful, wonderful, well-intentioned parents, you know, yes. But I think when we, we say that to our kids, they interpret it to mean calm down a little dismissive or a little bit like, don't be this way anymore. It feels like put a lid on it, stuff it down, kind of, you know, I know that that's not the intention that most parents have when they tell their kids to breathe, but I think that's the way it gets interpreted. And there's lots of ways that miscommunication can happen between parents and children. I know exactly what you mean. So many kids, I feel like come into my practice and they're like, if I get told to breathe one more time, but I love that idea of having them know what the breath is doing for them. That's beautiful. Okay, yeah. great. All right. And then you were talking video. Yeah, that's great. a great one. And then with about containers. So one of the things that I did in my office, often I have a sand tray, and the kids would build their worries in the sand tray. And then we would put a lid on it, and they would leave it at my office. And you can do that at home. So you yeah. can, that can look like a lot of different ways with an older kid, they can journal their worries, like I was saying, we can and then shut it that we can uh, draw pictures of it and we can crumple up those pictures or tear up those pictures. You can even, you're outside, you can put them in the fire pit, depending, you know, people, but there are ways to build containers. You can even have a worry jar where kids put in their worries and then screw the lid on it. It's going to look different for every kid, but it does give them the idea that you can have worries. You don't need to solve them. You can visualize that container. You can give them a, a literal container to help them with that visualization. I remember when I was in fifth grade and I was having trouble with multiplication and up all night worried about it. And of course, again, we didn't know it was anxiety. And I created a visualization for myself where I would put them the multiplication tables in a shoebox, put the shoebox on a shelf, shut the door to that room. And it was the only way I could go to sleep. So mm-hmm. sometimes I tell kids about that and invite them to think about a thing. Aren't, aren't kids brilliant? I think kids are amazing. You came up with that, you know, that that was something that you just intuitively knew how to do. I think we got to trust our kids too in this process of helping them figure out. So teaching kids that that worries can be contained and put away and then helping them come up with what do you think is the best way for your worries to be contained or put away. Some kids are worried that they'll forget about the worry. They don't want to burn it. Some kids want the worry gone and sent away. I think kids are brilliant. I think we can trust them to know those things. They just sometimes a little nudge in the right direction, you know, around this piece. I love that making the container. For the listeners who follow me on Instagram, I do have a a highlight on my Instagram page where my daughter and I made our, her worry jar together. So if you, you know, if your listeners are looking for like a visual of what that can look like, hers has a a dragon in the bottom who guards her worries because she gets very concerned that she'll forget (laughs) to worry about something. And so she has a, a dragon in her worry jar who guards it. Another one that my clients love, on Amazon, you can get this uh, paper called flying wish paper. It's kind of just like tissue paper and you can draw or write your worry on it. And then you roll it up into a cylinder and light it on fire and it flies up into the air and it's safe to do inside, which is super cool. Okay. So container, that's number two. Let's see. What's another one. I'm trying to think of something because I use those with even younger kids. I'm trying to think of something that I do with older kids. Well, this is less about anxiety in particular, but I think it's really helpful is 
I am a great believer. Like you said, kids want to know how things work. And so one of the things, and I just talked about this on my Instagram is, so I'm holding this up for you to see. I have these really short, these are child development, like one page. This is what your eight-year-old does is what your 10-year-old does. And of course I have a lot of child development books on my bookshelves and I will invite kids to read those with me to talk mm-hmm. about what's going on for them. So, oh, I can't remember what age it is. I can't remember if it's eight or nine, but there's an age where kids are terrible tattletales. Six to seven is a tattletale. Seven to eight is nobody likes me. I'm going to run away. But also, and this is a, they worry about cheating, but they'll cheat themselves to win. And they feel bad about themselves. I remember this. I remember feeling like there is something wrong with me. I can't do these things. And so I often tell kids, you are not supposed to do these things. Look in this book. This is actually what you're supposed to be working on. You are growing. You're going to get better at this. We have that vision, or at least sometimes we need help having that vision for our child because we are afraid for them. But if we can hold that for them, you are growing, you are getting better all the time. This is not always going to be that scary. And we can show them, we can literally sit down and say, look, eight-year-olds worry about that. It's okay. You're not always going to be this undone by your worry. And that is, I find so many kids have such relief, you know, the, the latter age, so older elementary and early teens, it's all identity formation. Mm-hmm. So we don't want them to become so identified with their anxiety that to give it up would be to lose a piece of themselves. So we want to let them know that they are growing and anxiety may be a part of their experience, but it is not who they are. And for those of us who have anxiety, we can appreciate how much that can make us feel stuck. So we can help them not be as stuck about it. Oh my gosh. Yes. This, who am I without my anxiety? Who would I be? Yeah. It can be scary to let go of a piece of your identity. So if we've got young kids and we are starting to feel like their anxiety is very close to who they are, like they feel like they are their anxiety or they are their worry. How can we go about helping them get some distance kind of right from the beginning, objectifying and, you know, moving it outside of themselves so that they can really look at it and see it as this is, I have an anxious part of me. I have worries in me, but they're not me. Do you know what I mean? Like, how can we help them with that from the beginning? I think there's a couple of ways. And again, your mileage may vary with your child. And I think you made the really good point too, that if you sort of have an anxiously shaped brain, if you have a brain that's prone to anxiety, your brain is going to be part of you all of your life. And so you're going to need to learn how to come alongside it. Right. So I think part of it is letting them know that there are many aspects of their brain. So that the kind of people who tend to be anxious at temperament traits, they tend to be high intensity. So we can let them know you're a big feelings person. You feel things big. You feel joy, big, you feel worry, big, because then it's not just anxiety. It's these other wonderful qualities. Um, high sensitivity is a temperament trait associated with anxiety. And we can say you're a pretty sensitive person. You're going to need to take care of yourself. And that might be particularly worrisome day. You need to wear your squishy pants. So you feel a little more comfortable in your body. And the other thing is a temperament trait that is highly associated with anxiety is negativity. And and I always negativity gets a bad rap because it's so negative, but the truth is negativity is a gift. Uh, If I'm being operated on by a surgeon, I want a surgeon who is able to spot worries, who is able to say, I need to double check. I didn't leave my sponge in my patient. That's a negativity trait. Mm -hmm. A negativity trait is somebody who can spot concerns and plan for them. What a great 
quality. We just don't want to be run by those. So it's terrific if you remember to pack an umbrella because it might rain. It's not terrific if you're so worried about rain that you can't fall asleep the night before the picnic. So helping them understand this is a temperament trait. It has wonderful qualities, but you are the boss of it. It is not the boss of you. So, so that's part of it. For younger children, what is sometimes useful, and actually my 17-year-old daughter has found this useful, is naming the anxiety mm -hmm. because that helps make it more like a companion. And her therapist, and I thought this was great, so I hope that he doesn't mind that I'm sharing this so you can all feel <laughs> it, is he said, I'm going to call your anxiety Nicholas Sparks because it always makes you cry. And so she'll say, Nicholas Sparks is going off in my head right now, but it helps her separate herself from that feeling she's having. I love that. Yes. Okay. Those are beautiful things. So I asked you for those kind of three things, right? So breathing, understand really understand yeah. why you're breathing, containing it, normalizing it was that third one. They're really helping them understand that this is a normal part of development and that they are not alone in it. This kind of, this common humanity that they are, it's very developmentally appropriate for them to be concerned about these things. And then this last piece of taking a look at it, kind of befriending it, coming alongside it and seeing it outside of yourself. I think that those are beautiful. So you mentioned your daughter's therapist <laughs> helped you her come up with the name Nicholas Sparks because her anxiety always makes her cry. And it just reminded me that sometimes anxiety can present in other ways too, right? So some kids get really worried and, and tearful with their worries, but Oftentimes for kids, anxiety can look like anger and yeah. angry outbursts, big dysregulation. And so can we just closing in on our time? But I, for those parents who I think it's just really important that we can start seeing some of those anger, hitting, yelling, I hate yous through an anxiety lens. Can you talk for a minute on that too? You know, I always say that the kids who come to my office are either anxious or angry and all the angry kids are anxious. I think that's actually incredibly, incredibly common because anger or anxiety is either inward and that often looks like depression or it's outward and that looks like behavior problems. Mm -hmm. And so I think that is, yes, that is incredibly important to see. And it makes sense because it's fight, flight or freeze, right? And so mm -hmm. some of those kids are fighting. If you have a kid who is angry, I, what I have noticed is those parents are actually accommodating it a lot more because the anger is scary. And the mm -hmm. anger is a kid who trashes their room, who hits parents or, and this really scares parents is hitting themselves or is saying things like, I hate myself. I want to die. You hate me. You don't love me. Those are really scary. If that's happening, then I think that is a clear sign that you need and deserve help and support because that mm -hmm. is really tough stuff. And you need someone who's not going to be blaming, who's not going to be say, saying, oh, it's because you've given him too much leeway. I wouldn't let my kid get away with that. Those are not helpful comments. Mm -hmm. I understand how parents get there and you need to find someone who understands how you got there and it's going to help you start getting out of it. And I say this with great love and concern, it will get worse before it gets better because they have learned to amp up and so when you are no longer accommodating, they're going to try what works, which is amping it up a little further. But we can plan for that. We can plan for that while we're helping them learn how to manage their anxiety. Okay. Yes. I love everything you just said. And it just made me think of another question. So what does it look like to no longer accommodate your child's anxiety? I, the, I feel like a classic one that... 
I hear parents in the respectful community, parenting community get caught up in is my child is scared to go to the bathroom alone or my child is scared to go to, you know, upstairs alone. When we are no longer accommodating things like that, what does it look like? Well, we're going to take little tiny bites, little tiny steps. We're not just going to throw your kid to the wolves. Parents are always worried about that. (laughs) So the parent, we're going to choose where is the place that you want to stop accommodating? And it has to be comfortable for you. So parents often come to it and say, I don't think my child will be able to do that. But we're not talking about your kid yet. We're talking about your accommodation. So where is it that you feel most comfortable stopping that accommodation? Or uh, what are you most tired of doing? So if you really want to pee with the door shut, then that's a good start. That that can be what it is. You're not going to do all the separation anxiety. You're not going to try to to make them go to the birthday party themselves. You're just going to try to pee by yourself. And so you say, I love you very much. And I know you can handle this and I'm going to pee by myself. And then you're going to do it. And they're going to wail and cry and bang on the door. And you're going to feel guilty. And you might be in there crying while you pee, but you know what, then you're both going to have done it. And you're going to have tolerated your child's discomfort with it. And your child is going to realize they can do it. Now, you may make a particular plan for that child. Like, would you like to do this thing while mommy pees? I would say don't do anything that is going to make your life harder. Like, mommy will put on a show for you because maybe you don't have time to put on a show every time you go pee, right? But it's about you learning to tolerate your child's discomfort so your child can learn to tolerate their discomfort. And then big celebration for everybody because you did it. Lots of hugging, lots of cheering, lots of bragging about what a great job your kid did so they can brag about themselves. But it is those baby steps because as your child learns to tolerate discomfort in small ways, they can start bringing that to other things. And you start pointing out to them, you're a really brave person. You can do these hard things. Remember how you let me pee with the door shut? You're a hero. So I wonder what you can do next. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. And I, I think that anxious kids also like to hear like, I knew you could do it do that. They like that kind of that, like assurance that like my parent knew I could do this. Yeah. We weren't worried. We weren't worried that you could do this. We knew you when you were ready, you would, you would be able to do this. And that is the really hard thing too, because again, as wonderful, loving parents, and I see parents do this a lot, they undermine without meaning to. Mm -hmm. So they'll say to their child, okay, you're going to do the thing. And the kid goes, great. And then the parent goes, so you're going to do the thing, right? So you've got this, right? Like they don't realize they think they're being reassuring, but actually they're sending the message to their kid. I don't think she thinks I can do this. Mm-hmm. So you can have a lot of those feelings. I always say I can go to my husband with all of my fears and all so that I don't visit them on my kids. Right. Yeah. So I say to the kid, you got this. And then I go to him and go, oh my gosh, what if she doesn't got this? What is going on? <laughs> you need to have an outlet. You yeah. Have an outlet and a place for your own fears too but don't visit them on your kids. Yeah. Project that confidence. Oh, it's hard work. We can can do hard things. We can. It is. Oh, oh my gosh, Don, this was such a great conversation. Thank you so much for this. I want to make sure I have your links already. We'll put them in the show notes, but I do just, why don't you let people know where they can find you? Cause some people like to hear it verbally where they can find you on Instagram and figure out how to get to work with you. Your membership sounds amazing. 
I'm pretty dang excited about this membership. So you can find me on Instagram at Dawn Friedman, M-S-E-D. And you can find me on Facebook at Child Anxiety Support. And my website is childanxietysupport.com. If you go there, you can download an anxiety assessment. And once you've done that, you can schedule a 20-minute call with me if you want to talk about the assessment. And I'm not always going to tell you that the membership is a good fit for you. Sometimes I'm going to recommend you do something else first because I want you to do what's going to be most effective. And then if the membership does seem like a good fit, it's uh, 30 days free because we're parents, we're busy, and I wanted to give you lots of time to forget to log on to the membership and then remember to log on to it. <laughs> and then the Child Anxiety Support Program has a course called Strong Kids, Strong Families, which is about managing accommodations, turning those into supports, and CBT Family, which is a library of resources of ways to bring CBT learning to your family, and a bunch of other stuff too, plus people who understand where you're coming from, and I'm always available in the membership. I love that. I think community is really important. I think that parenting these kiddos can feel really, really lonely, especially like it's it's lonely enough when we're doing things differently than the mainstream parenting anyway. And then to add in this extra layer of having an anxious kiddo, it it can be really lonely. I think that community is so beautiful. And and Don, I really appreciate the the integrity that, that you just spoke about this with. I think so many people, you know, just want more people in their programs. I really appreciate finding someone who I can share with my community who is going to have integrity. It's not the right fit for everybody. And I, I want you to find the right fit for your family and that there's lots of options out there and I will work for some people and I won't work for others. I feel the same way. You know, I, I have a membership as well and it it's not for everyone. Our goals, you know, aren't always aligned and it's okay to find I know that, you know, some of the guests that I've had on here people who listen go and work with them and take their courses. And that's wonderful instead of mine. I really appreciate finding people who feel the same. That I love <laughs> when I'm able to refer somebody to a better fit therapist. Like that's Me too. Yes. yes. I think it speaks to that. I don't know about how it is for you, but for me, I really just love parents and kids. Mm -hmm. And I really just want them to find the home and the support that's right for them. That's really all I want. Yes. I <gasps> would say my favorite client is a struggling mom, an unhappy mom. She's my favorite client. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, so this was so wonderful, Dawn. I so appreciate you sharing all your wisdom and knowledge with us. Thank you. Thank you. I had so much fun. Me too. Okay. So thanks for listening today. Um, remember to subscribe to the podcast. And if it was helpful, leave me a review that really helps others find the podcast and join us in this really important work of um, creating a parenthood that we don't have to escape from and creating a childhood for our kids that they don't have to recover from. And if you're listening, grab a screenshot and tag me on Instagram so that I can give you a shout out. Um, and definitely go follow me on Instagram. I'm at Laura Froyan PhD. Um, that's where you can get a behind the scenes look at what balanced conscious parenting looks like in action with my family. And plus I share a lot of other really great resources there too. All right. That's it for me today. I hope that you keep taking really good care of your kids and your family and each other, and most importantly of yourself. And just remember balance is a verb and you're already doing it. You've got this.